You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. I'm going to take a poll and then I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray. So, you know, I like to take a poll because I want to know who I'm ruining it for. So, spoiler alert, I will address not explicitly but implicitly the ending to this film. So, how many of you have already seen A Star is Born whether this version or one of the earlier versions. But I want to give you permission. It will not hurt my feelings if you do not want to hear this class because you want to be surprised by the ending. But I will let you know, I read some reviews from people who've said that um, not knowing the ending before you go into the movie is actually irresponsible on the part of the movie makers. So they actually, because it's the same ending as is found in all of the three previous iterations of this movie and it's a very troubling ending and so they want you to know ahead of time so that you're emotionally prepared for it which is actually I think very wise especially if the ending contents of the ending um, relate to something that you or a loved one has experienced it can be too difficult if you don't know that going into it so I actually found that to be pretty helpful so again spoiler alert a disclaimer um, spoiler alert I will tell I will you know allude to that and then also disclaimer this movie is rated R so I don't endorse some of the yeah. things that they're doing of course in the movie but just so you know there are things that they're doing you know there's a lot of sex and language and allusion to violence and a very little bit of nudity. Um, la- this week I was supposed to, this is my three-part um, film series that I love to do leading up to the Oscars, and I was intending to do this class last week, but I had a little health detour. And so um, the, the class that I would have done this week, I want to encourage you, if you want movies that you can get lost in, that might not be the pinnacle of Hollywood directing, but yet you can just enjoy them. You can stream them from your couch. You can enjoy them and find a two-hour movie to just get caught up in the story of and feel maybe a little sad, but maybe a little good also by the end of it. Then I'd encourage you um, to check out some of the movies I was going to look at this week that are about um, coming-of-age stories. So two of the movies that have come out in 2018 about young girls um, are eighth grade. That one's R-rated and it's a little bit harder, but the ending is beautiful and happy. The movie's called eighth grade. The movie's called eighth grade. And then the other one, don't take your eighth grader. But if you're a parent of an eighth grader, trust me, there's one, even the mother of a two-year-old, still mother of a girl, there's one scene where you're like, oh, no, what's going to happen? And it, it works out. It's one of those movies that like works out and you're like, oh, this is beautiful. Um, and then another one is Leave No Trace, which is a really hard coming of age story about a girl um, who, um, with her father, has been living in one of the national parks in um, Seattle area, or, or excuse me, I think it's Oregon. So this, the film itself is just all green and beautiful and lush. So all that to say, Leave No Trace is also excellent. And then from a boy's perspective, um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is just a wonderful movie. Don't be deterred by the fact that it's a cartoon. It's still really good, I would say. Um, but So let's watch this trailer. If you haven't, you've probably already seen the trailer for this f- film. But today I'm going to be discussing A Star is Born. Let me pray for us first, and then we'll watch the trailer, and then we'll keep um, keep talking about it. Lord, we thank you for stories and for the way you delight to speak to us through good stories, stories that move us. 
And we ask, Lord, that um, through this story that our culture is telling, you would give us eyes to see the truth of your story, the story of your great love for us in Jesus Christ. And then also, Lord, give us um, resources and tools to be able to discuss with others who might not know you yet um, what your great love looks like, what a perfect, beautiful, true love looks like. In Jesus' name, amen. So the audio is a little bad, but... Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Liz. Oh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. Perfect. Thanks, Charles. So it is a good movie. It's a good movie because it's got um, all of the things that draw us into a movie. The characters are um, well written, well acted. This is Lady Gaga's acting debut. Um, this is Bradley Cooper's directorial debut. And he really draws out of her a magnificent performance. And the music alone is a really, um, Hollywood has always used music as a cheap way of getting us to feel things deeply and feel things strongly. And, and, and they do it well in this movie. They added um, music to um, the second Star is Born in 1954 with Judy Garland as the Lady Gaga character. And, and it made a huge difference. Just the poignancy, the beauty of the love um, that they have is even elucidated even more by the music. Um, well, let's just back up a little bit. Why would we watch movies as Christians? And never mind, why would we talk about them in church? And I just want to point out that stories get to us. Stories reach us in ways that more direct communication cannot reach us. When I tell you the plot of this movie in a moment, you're, it's not going to be as beautiful and evocative for you as if you were to see it in the theater. Seeing it in the theater, I was holding Scott's hand at these beautiful moments. My heart thrilled with the music, with the, um, with the risks 
even that they were taking for each other and um, the way um, the way he reaches out and really actually sees something beautiful and talented about her and really beautifully wants her to succeed and not not for any lascivious reasons not because he's a man in control and power and she's a woman who's not it's really beautiful the way he um, arranges for her to become for her beautiful talent to be seen by many people. And that's very, you see that generosity, you see that giving. Um, well, stories reach us. God knows this. And we see this a couple places in scripture where we see this. We see this in um, the story of David and Bathsheba. Remember, after David has committed the sin with Bathsheba, the only way that you can convict a king of his sin is to tell him a story. Um, the only way you can convict someone so rooted in their own self-sufficiency, not just a king, but maybe just me, um, in our own self-sufficiency is to tell us a story where we're at the receiving end of the judgment. And Nathan does that. He tells him the story about a rich man who stole a poor, or grabbed a poor man's lamb and s- sacrificed it. And, um, and David wants to, wants to punish the rich man and then the story turns on him and Nathan says to him you are the man you are the rich man who's taken this woman that is not yours Bathsheba and he feels convicted and he repents Um, so the story moves him Um, same with Jesus's parables Jesus intends for his hearers to feel convicted and move from one place to another if you just think about the parable of the prodigal son for example he tells it um, hoping that the uh, um, Pharisees and scribes will understand that they are the older brother in the parable and that the younger brother being forgiven, um, receiving God's free uh, gift of love is actually are actually the sinners, the repentant sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors that Jesus is eating with. And so at the beginning of that chapter in Luke, you'll hear um, those leaders, those older brothers condemning Jesus for receiving the repentant sinners, the younger brothers. And Jesus' parable is meant to convict those older brothers with the hope that they too would then receive grace and mercy from God by recognizing their need for grace and mercy. Stories allow us to see ourselves in good and bad ways, to be convicted by our sin or inspired with hope. But I will say that the stories that our culture tells itself um, might get only a corner of like just a very little tiny grasp on the truth or they'll twist the truth and get it wrong. So we always have to engage with the stories of our culture with biblical lenses. And that's what I hope for us to do today, to think critically and biblically about them. This story, A Star is Born, is a story that Hollywood has loved to tell over the last um, 80 years. It was. Um, it has been told at least four times now. 1937, the first Star is Born um, was with Janet Gaynor and Frederick March. The second one in 1954 with Judy Garland and um, James Mason. And then in 1976 with Barbara Streisand and Chris Christopherson. So Hollywood's taken a break, but Bradley Cooper really um, revives some of the elements, you know, retains the exact same plot structure and revives elements from the previous films. Um, So I'm going to be looking at all of the films today. Um, There's also a fifth film from 1932 that all those four other films are actually based on called What Price Hollywood? Um, So this story that Hollywood loves to tell itself this story because this is the story of all of those people sitting in the Academy, all of the actors and directors who have achieved some sort of corner of fame uh, are are enamored of his story uh, that is when a star is born. The story involves a famous guy with a drinking problem who meets a girl with talent. He promotes her and she becomes famous. 
they fall in love and get married. Her star keeps rising while his star keeps falling. His addiction and depression begin to get in the way of her career. He goes to rehab, but it doesn't stick. He seems, seems, seems to hit bottom in a new way towards the end of all of the films. And she feels then as though she must give up her career, or at least part of it, to be able to take care of him and focus on recovery. In the earlier films, the first two where it's about a Hollywood career in acting, the woman says, I'm done with films. I'm only going to take care of my husband and help him get better. And in the later t- last two films, it's, I won't go on tour. You know, I'll stay home and not go on tour so that I can help him get better and really focus on recovery. Well, so even in this sacrifice that the female lead is going to embark upon, he knows this, the man overhears this, and he does something then that Hollywood would describe as beautiful and sad at the same time. And what I would say is it's not beautiful at all. It's only sad, and it's even tragic. Um, Is it true love for him to sacrifice the way he sacrifices so that she might have this beautiful career? No. That's what the world would tell us. That's what Hollywood would tell us. Um, His love for her and his seeming sacrifice for her are no true love, Um, but it's actually a parody of true love, and that's what's so hard about this movie. His seemingly sacrificial action at the end is not out of love, but it's a symptom of the diseases of addiction and depression that he is in the grip of. It's even the epitome of pride. He would rather take control and take things into his own hands rather than submitting to more lasting treatment. His despair is devastating. His despair is the kind of despair that thinks tragically that everyone's life would be better off without him. It's a lie. It's a devilish lie that's taken over his mind. He's in denial about his own depth of need and his own brokenness. And so Hollywood wants to say this is a noble sacrifice. Um, and, and what we as Christians would say is that, no, this is actually a devilish parody of Christ's own sacrifice for us. This is a distortion of true love. And it's partly because of the false ideal. Hollywood would like to believe that a sacrif- like, sacrifice like Jackson Maine's sacrifice is a noble thing. Um, but that's because, again, those who are making it, those who are casting their votes for best actor and best director and best film at the Academy Awards... They've put fame and career ahead of their own personal relationships. This is a symptom of our society's obsession with the false gospel of self-actualization. We define, you can define self-actualization as something our society is obsessed with. It's the realization or the fulfillment of one's talents and potentialities, especially considered as a drive or a need present in everyone. Jackson Maine does what he does at the end of the film in order to allow the woman he loves supposedly to realize her full potential. But that's a lie. It's more a symptom of his own depression depression and addiction, and that's why it's really tragic. Um, And not a beautiful kind of tragic, just a sad, sad tragic. Um, But again, Hollywood buys into this lie that we must each realize our full potential. And when you buy into this false ideal, you end up getting crushed by the law, as we call it as Christians. Medieval philosophers called it the wheel of fortune. If all of what we achieve in this life, if the pinnacle of our success, maybe we're not 
um, Hollywood actors or maybe we're not wonderful musicians like Lady Gaga. Um, but if the pinnacle of success in our life, the height of our legal career, um, the business has taken off and we're in high demand and the money just keeps rolling in or we're, um, we're at the very peak of whatever um, career or, or earthly success we might have in this life, whatever our vocation is, it's a lie to think that that is more important than our relationships and our spiritual and emotional health. But again, that's what Hollywood keeps wanting to say. That success, that illusion of success or the temporary success that we might have is, again, um, only the law. Um, we might tell ourselves that it's because of our strength or because of our ambition or our talents or our abilities. But in fact, it's really only a gift from God. Medieval philosophers talked about the wheel of fortune. Have you ever heard this? Not the game show. The game show is based on it. But the wheel of fortune was this idea that one wheel turns. As the wheel turns, some rise and some fall. And um, this idea is so present in the, theme, in the story of A Star is Born. As she's rising and her star is rising, his star is falling. Um, and there's even the earlier films talk about it very clear way. Okay, hold on. Let me just reboot. There we go. I'm good. Um, update later. Um, they'll figure it'll figure it out. Um, looking back in one of the previous iterations in the 1954 movie, there's a bad guy in the studio who really is out to get Maine. His name, his name in the first two films is Norman Maine, not Jackson Maine. But anyway, he's going to get him because he's this fall down drunk who's always getting into trouble and, and this guy at the studio is the PR guy who always has to get him out of trouble and he's sick and tired of it and he hates looking bad and he's had to look so bad by trying to make this guy look good and so he's sort of like the one trying to undercut and stick the knife in Jack's, in Norman Maine when he's down when he's had to be let go of the studio well so um, Norman and in that movie, Norman and Esther Blodgett, which is the name of the Alley character, they get married and they, um, they don't allow the studio to publicize it. They just elope. And he's so upset because his job is publicity and he wanted to allow the publicity to be so big. So he comes and he, um, and he, he catches them right as they're heading off on their secret honeymoon and he goes, the wheel, he goes back and he says, just wait your turn, I always say. The wheel goes round and round and if you just wait long enough, it's finally your turn. And sure enough, um, when Norman Maine's star really falls to the ground, he kicks him while he's down. And that's part of um, that character's final demise in those earlier movies. Again, this idea of the Wheel of Fortune is so pernicious. It's so devastating because it's based on your own talent. If your fame or your success is based on your talent and your achievements, then you will always fail. And failure can be devastating when a fall is taken from a great height. So again, rather than the false ideal, we want the gospel ideal. The false ideal says we're at our best when we're being self-actualized, when our, when our full potential is um, being reached. That need for that drive for success is being recognized. And the gospel ideal is very different. The gospel ideal for our individual lives is a humble, loving submission to God and to each other out of thanksgiving for what God has done for us in Jesus. This gospel ideal in our individual lives involves a willingness to be wrong, um, a willingness to acknowledge our own brokenness, 
a willingness to repent and allow God to transform us. This gets at the human condition. We are, um, even as the star is born, looks at this falling star, if you were to see it, we are each Jackson, Maine. We might not be addicted to booze and pills the way he is, but we're addicted to sin. And sin, you might think of sin as, well, all the bad things I could say or do. It's not so much that. That, yes, is those are sins, but sin is that pernicious um, lie that says I'm large and I'm in charge. I'm in control of my life and I don't need you, God. I'll take it from here. Thanks so much. I'll call you when I need you. Um, sin is sort of a mindset that we adopt without even thinking. It's our default mindset as broken human beings. And God delights to transform that mindset. But that is still our default mindset that we go back to. Um, so we are each that falling star in need for um, saving and need for salvation and rescuing. Um, one of the writers at Gospel Coalition says beautifully how a star is born gets at the human condition. He says it brilliantly, painfully, and compellingly lays bare the problem that lies at the heart of the fallen human condition. The existential longing to crash through the shallowness. And he's getting now at the star song from the, from the movie Shallow the shallowness of our existence, and find something deeper and safer. We are desperate for someone to find us and change us, someone whose life can intersect with ours in a way that fills us with hope and brings redemption. One of the tragedies of this film story itself is that it gets so close to promoting true love. Um, Allie's love for Jackson is a true love. And in the previous iterations, you see it even more beautifully. In 1937 and 1954, um, Janet Gaynor and Judy Garland embody this sacrificial love, this true love. We hear it in, um, you hear it especially in, um, 19, in the 1954 film when they start to date. Um, we see that she, Esther is the character's name there. She sees him as he truly is. Um, but she believes the gospel truth that it's never too late for anyone to turn from sin. So Maine, Jackson Maine, or Norman Maine, as he's called in 1954, says, I destroy everything I touch. I always have. Forget me. I'm a bad lot. You've come too late. And she says, I don't believe that. It's not too late. Not for you and not for me. And then he says, don't say that, Esther. I might begin to believe it. Please believe it. Believe it. And for a time, his life is transformed. He changes. He doesn't drink as much. Um, he has more. Um, I'm gonna. He has more so- sober moments than drunk moments, and it's beautiful. Um, and part of the tragedy is that he needs a bigger love than just Esther's love. Um, okay, I'm gonna get. This is the um, marriage proposal in the in the 1937 version, which I just think is so cute. Can you hear it all right? There, he took her to a boxing match for a date. Did you hear that? It's hard because of it. That reminds me. Will you marry me? No, thank you. (laughs) Why won't you marry me? Because you're not dependable. You throw away your money and you drink too much.
<laughs> it's really funny. The early movies are really awesome. She goes, would you do all that for me if I'd marry you? And she goes, certainly not. I was just supposing. I was just supposing. She knows he's not going to quit being the way she's being, and yet she hopes still that somehow her love will give him hope in the midst of the despair that's causing him um, to succumb to the diseases of depression and, and addiction. Um, and we'll see in the 1954 version, oh, Judy Garland is so beautiful. She's such a good actor. Um, I'm going to, we won't see all of this. Um, she's such a fantastic actor. Her emotional engagement with the reality of this. In the 1937 version, Janet Gaynor is just full steam ahead. I'm going to love him. I'm going to change him when at the end um, he has hit rock bottom and he's been taken. He almost went to jail for drunken disorderly behavior. She pleads with the judge and says, I will stay home with him. I will watch him. I won't go to the movie studio and do movies. I'll just watch him and take care of him. Trust me, will you? And he discharges him to her care instead of sending him to prison. And she goes and tells the movie producer, I'm done. I'm done with movies. I'm done with this. Uh, I And he says, you'd be giving up this beautiful career. You're so famous. Everybody wants you. And she says, I'd just be giving him back the gift that he's already given me. Giving back to her husband um, what he'd already helped her gain in success. Um, and so she holds that success lightly. She really doesn't care about it as much as she cares about her husband. And so you see those beautiful 1937 priorities get lost in the 2018 movie, unfortunately. Um, and in 1954, you see a more qualified, really real. I mean, Janet Gaynor's love is so pure, it's otherworldly. Um, Judy Garland is a little more worldly in her love for her Norman Maine. This is the film producer. Um, yeah, please. Yeah, I'd love this. So, when, so, like, I love the movie. I hate the ending at all. Uh, uh, yeah, the ending's terrible. I, just, I mean, but, like, the moments where, like, the love is perfect is, like, the best in an almost any movie. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. but it, it all kind of seems to start crumbling when sh her career is rising. And you, especially in the new one, you do see Lady Gaga getting, like, kind of superficially obsessed. Like, her hair changes. Yeah. Her look changes. She's doing more, like, kind of you know, just trashy dancing. Yeah. And, I mean, that's part of it, too. I mean, they're both flawed. Yeah, they really are both flawed. And I think one of the things that really jumps out about that is in the midst of the addiction, you know, her love is a true love. I would say in that she is, especially in the early film, she's sacrificing for his benefit. We won't get to watch this as the bells are ringing. But, um, but the problem is ultimately, thank you, Charles, Ultimately, that he needs a higher power. And if you know anything about the 12-step program, part of it is this admission, a recognition that we need, you know, that there's, that we need help. And this is not just for those who are addicted to drugs and alcohol. This is for every single one of us as a sinner is to say, I need help. 
I need a power greater than I to be able to get through life without destroying everything I touch. Um, and that is what that is where Jackson Maine or Norman Maine never gets. He never gets to the bottom point where he says, I need help. And even in, I appreciate the later versions because they show her love less perfect. It's less meant to be an, an ideal of love. She's resentful even in this. She says, I love him. I hate him. I love him. She hates that he does what he does and the way he hurts himself. It's a beautiful clip. I just encourage you to check it out, especially if you have a loved one who's an addict because you can empathize with her she loves him and she wants him to change and she hates it when the change doesn't happen she says I thought I was the answer for Norman but love isn't enough for him all he has left is his pride her love isn't enough and for those of us again with a parent or a sibling or a spouse who's an addict our love is not enough for them they need to rely on God himself a higher power even so in the film structure Vicky, Esther, Allie's love is true love, like Christ in his incarnation, giving up all that is his, that career, um, all that he has to rescue the derelict. Um, again, in those earlier films, they're ready to give up all just for him. Um, but again, the answer that the main male character has is a tragic answer without the hope of the gospel. And that's, again, why this film is bad, is because... It seems to say that it's a beautiful tragedy when it's just a dead end tragedy. It's a terrible tragedy. There's no hope at the end because if the hope is only that she'll have a great career, well, her great career will tank at some point. Her star that's rising now will fall and she'll have nothing when it's gone. Um, so again, the gospel, as Frederick Beekner says, the gospel is tragedy before it's comedy. And then it's comedy before it's a fairy tale. He has a beautiful quote that I'm going to close with. The gospel is bad news before it is good news. It's the news that man is a sinner, to use the old world, old word, excuse me, that man is evil in the imagination of his heart. That when he looks in the mirror, all in a lather, what he sees is at least eight parts chicken, phony, slob. That is the tragedy. And that's where this movie ends. It's just with that bad news was no good news. He's unwilling to receive good news. He's unwilling to repent and turn and receive um, good news. The gospel is also, though, the news that that chicken, that phony, that slob is loved anyway, cherished, forgiven, bleeding to be sure, but also bled for. That is the comedy. And yet so what? So what if even in his sin the slob is loved and forgiven when the very mark and substance of his sin and his slobbery is that he keeps turning down the love and the forgiveness because he either doesn't believe them or doesn't want them or just doesn't give a darn. In answer, the good news of the gospel is that the extraordinary things happen to him, just as in fairy tales, extraordinary things happen. And so I think what Beekner's getting at is that transformation, that the comedy, the beautiful upswing of God's supernatural love for us um, when we don't deserve it, as Paul says in Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us Jackson Maines when we're tanking, when everything's going down. And he breaks through to us in his love for us and begs us um, to reach out for the lifeline that is his love. I'm trusting that he'll be able to rescue us in the moment and ultimately transform us. And for those who never get the lifeline, 
for those who are caught like Jackson Maine in the grip of addiction and despair and depression. We can only pray, Lord, have mercy. Lord, would you reach out to them beyond us? We can reach out and we can reach out again and again. But ultimately, we have to leave them in God's hands and trust him for their rescue. Um, So with that in mind, let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the stories that you use to um, tell us about our story and to tell us ultimately about your rescuing of us. And so we thank you, Lord, that in Jesus you have reached out to us while we're weak, while we're in that ungodly place like Jackson, Maine. That you have loved us with a sacrificial love. Um, that you're not trying to give us good, great success and careers in this life, but you have a bigger, better, more eternal goal of our eternal salvation and transformation. That you would desire for us to be humble, submissive, um, warm, tender, vulnerable, honest people living in this life. And so we ask indeed that you would uh, spark in our hearts, even if we watch this film, um, let us not be discouraged or dismayed. Would you spark in our hearts that hope that is ours, that hope that's in you, that hope um, that rejoices in the midst of suffering, that hope um, that does not put us to shame because your love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.